0: you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them." Last Sunday night, we started a series of lessons that covered these verses that we're looking at tonight. And the lesson that we talked about last Sunday was by grace. And if you were not here, then I would suggest that you uh, listen to it on the new systems that we have and all the old systems that we have, if it's out there. I'm not sure it's out there. Didn't see it on Facebook. The last Sunday sermon, Sunday nights. should be there, Chris says. So check it out. If not, call him. <laughs> but anyways, we talked about grace, and in that lesson we saw that obedience is also involved in truth, or in, in grace, that God expects us to be obedient. And tonight I want to look at the next phase of, or phrase of that uh, verse, which are, is, "Are ye saved?" Now it's interesting that it's not a question in that verse. It's just a statement or a part, part of the uh, uh, texture of the uh, verse, But it is a question that we're oftentimes asked by people that we come in contact with. I'm sure there's times that you've been at work or maybe somewhere and the strangers walked up and they said, are you saved? I've had people knock on my door and say those words to me. Are you saved? And the question is, are they saved or are we saved? And I think that that's a good question that we need to ask. And occasionally, I remember years ago, I had someone that come into work and they told me that they were saved last night. Well, I wanted to know what that meant. But we hear those phrases, and then occasionally when someone is seriously ill and they're about to die and they finally pass away, you will hear someone say that was, you know, it was great because they accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior before they passed away. I believe that all of those individuals that make those statements are very honest and very sincere. They realize the importance of salvation. But what is really meant by, are you saved? Or, He was saved, when that expression is given. Tonight, I would like for us to look at that subject. Are you saved? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. The question is, are you saved? And I want to ask each one of us that question. Are you saved? And if you say yes, how do you know you're saved? Can a person be saved and not know it? How do we know that we are saved? There are questions I believe that you and I I would agree that that question is worth investigating. And the best part of this is that the Bible has the answer to that question if you're willing to accept it. Because it tells us in First John chapter 5, and verse 13, "...these things have I written unto you, that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God." Brethren, as Christians, we don't have to worry about, are we saved? We should know that we're saved, because the Bible tells us that we can know. And so we, if we're doing what the Bible says, then we're going to have the answer. And so salvation, we need to understand, is a Bible word. It's a word that is used in our everyday life also. It's a word that describes a rescue or deliverance from danger. In salvation, there is a deliverance or rescue from the danger and then taken to Safety. And so that is what we're looking at tonight. That's the Word. And we see it in everyday life. Occasionally you'll hear of a fireman that enters a raging building to save a person that is trapped inside and they fight those flames and they carry that person out to safety and they are delivered. They they have salvation. That's physical salvation. You might hear of someone that is, is... very ill and in need of a serious operation in order to save their life. And that doctor, with his skill and his power, performs that operation, and that person is saved. In other words, again, an example of physical salvation. On the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, Peter was guided by the Holy Spirit when they cried out, Many brethren, what shall we do? He had preached a gospel message that Jesus Christ had died, that they had crucified Him, and that He was now ruling and reigning at the right hand of God. And when they realized that they were convicted of their sin, they cried out, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And about 3,000 people on that occasion heard those words and obeyed those words And we're physically or spiritually saved. That is salvation or spiritual salvation. When we hear the gospel and we obey the gospel, we are delivered from sin. We're delivered out of the bondage of Satan. And we have been delivered into the safe fold of God. You see, salvation is a most valued part of human life, either physically or spiritually. But let's look at it a little further. We know what we're talking about when we hear salvation mentioned. Just as we can know that a person is saved from a burning building, or they've been saved because of a critical operation that has been performed, we can also know beyond doubt that a person has been saved from sin. As I said, we don't have to wonder about salvation. We can know whether we've been saved by God's wonderful grace and our obedience to His will. However, with salvation from sin, there's a slight problem. Feelings are not a reliable evidence that we have salvation. There is an example in the Bible that I believe helps us to illustrate it. I've asked people, you know, are you saved? And many times I hear people say, I I feel it. I feel that everything's okay. And you ask them what they did in order to be saved, and they tell you what they did. It's not what the Bible says. But yet they feel, and again, I believe they're honest and sincere. But they feel that they're saved. And we can't rely upon our feelings. Because our feelings can deceive us, you remember the story in the Old Testament of Joseph. Joseph had a, Jacob, or Joseph was Jacob's favorite son. Jacob had twelve sons, but his favorite was Joseph. And because of the favoritism that was shown to him, and then the fact that Joseph uh, relate his dreams or told the dreams and interpreted those dreams, uh, people, his brothers were envious of him. To the, fact, to the point where they hated him. And when the opportunity presented itself, when Joseph went to check on his brothers, they sold Joseph as a slave to the Midianite traders. And I would imagine that they thought, Joseph is gone. We don't have to worry about Joseph anymore. He's out of our sight and out of our hair. But they had just one problem. How were they going to cover it up and explain it to their father? You see, human nature has a tendency to cover up or to hide sinful things that we do. We try to hide our moments of ungodliness so that others don't, so it's not exposed to others. And so the brothers wanted to hide what they had done. And so what did they do? They took that coat of many colors that Jacob had given to Joseph, and they killed a goat, a kid goat, and they dipped that coat in blood, and then they sent it and took it to their father. And this is what transpired. In Genesis chapter 37 and verse 31 it says, And they took Joseph's coat and killed a kid of the goats and dipped the coat in blood. And they sent the coat of many colors and they brought it to their father and said, This have we found. Know now whether it be thy son's coat or no. You think they knew whose coat it was? They knew whose coat it was. And they knew Jacob would recognize that coat also. And so Jacob was stunned and devastated. And he was very upset Because he knew that that coat belonged to Joseph. He knew that it was the one that he had given to him. And Joseph was no doubt dead in Jacob's mind. Because listen to what he said in verse 33 of Genesis chapter 37. And he knew it and said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. I want you to observe something. When the truth is held back from others, false conclusions are easily reached. They presented the coat and let Jacob draw his own conclusions from seeing that coat. They knew what they had done with Joseph, but they held that information back from their father. And we begin to see how Jacob felt. In Genesis chapter 37 and verse 34, And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all of his sons and all of his daughters rose up to confront him. But he refused to be confronted or comforted. And he said, For I will go down into my grave unto my, unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Jacob's reaction is that his son is dead. He drew that conclusion from the coat that had been dipped in blood. But we know that Joseph wasn't dead, but yet Jacob had all the feelings that his son was dead. And so he mourned, and he wept, and he did all the things that would naturally occur when someone loses a dear loved one, such as Jacob losing Joseph. And he mourned many days, and he would not be comforted. His feelings told him that his son was dead, but his feelings lied to him. Now stay with me, because he's been deceived, but yet he's believing what he's what, the conclusion that he's drawn up himself. The story doesn't end there. Over time, and through a series of other events... He worked his way up, or Joseph worked his way up from slavery into the high position in Pharaoh's company. You know, and we know, that he was second in command only to Pharaoh. And during that course of seven, there was seven years of famine, Jacob sent his sons to Egypt to buy grain. And through other series of events that we see, and we can read about how Joseph finally revealed who he was, Joseph told them that he was their brother. Uh Uh-oh, now what are we going to do? Joseph's brothers now had to go back and tell Jacob that Joseph was alive, that he wasn't really dead, that he was alive and well and living in Egypt, and was in charge of all the grain in Egypt. What would you expect Jacob's response to be? What would you expect Jacob to believe when his sons came back and said that? Put yourself in Jacob's place. He believed all this time that Your son Joseph has been killed by a wild beast and torn to pieces and is dead. You've wept. You've mourned. And like a lot of parents, I would imagine he, you could tell the difference in his life from that day forward because he'd lost his son. Let's see Jacob's reaction when he's told that Joseph is alive. Genesis chapter 45, beginning of verse 25. And they went up out of Egypt and came into the land of Canaan unto Jacob his, their father, and told him, saying, Joseph is yet alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. And Jacob's heart fainted, for he believed them not. Now he had drawn this conclusion because he hadn't been given all of the evidence he felt that Joseph was dead, and now he's being confronted with the truth. And what happens? He does not want to believe it. And if you put yourself in that situation, I think that I could understand how Joseph could come to that conclusion, or Jacob could come to that conclusion. I don't want to believe you. I don't believe you. All this time I thought he was dead. See just how strong feelings based on false evidence can be. Jacob was given false evidence. He believed a lie and his feelings confirmed it to be true. Now he's told the truth and refuses to believe it. His feelings deceived him both times. There's a great lesson in that for us, for all of us. We dare not lean upon our own feelings to know that we are saved because our feelings can deceive us. No man can even believe he is lost based on feelings alone, much less feel that he's saved and be absolutely sure that he is correct. There is a very simple way to know for sure. That way is to examine the evidence that is presented. And in this case of salvation, there are two possibilities or two possible sources for evidence. One is a divinely inspired source which would be God's Word. The other is a humanly devised source, which is what man comes up with themselves. None of us have to be told which one is the wise course to follow. I said it many times when Jesus said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Are you going to put your stock in what some man comes up with that is contrary to what Jesus says we need to do in order to be saved? I want to put my stock in what Jesus said. Why? Because on the Day of Judgment, He's going to be my judge. So why wouldn't I want to listen to what Jesus says as opposed to what man says? You see, human evidence promises salvation on such things as accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Let Jesus Christ come into your life and let Him take control. Surrender your heart to Him and He will speak to your heart and He will tell you what you need to do and He will comfort you. And we've all heard those types of sayings and sentiments expressed in one way or another. But the sad thing is, no one ever goes further to explain how one accepts Jesus into their heart. And while many contend for accepting Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, they never give Bible evidence as to how it is done. If it's explained at all, it either ignores divine evidence from the New Testament, or only partially uses it. That coat belonged to Joseph. That was partial evidence, but the conclusion that was drawn, and the conclusion that those individuals allowed it for them to, that for Jacob to come to, was false let Jesus come into your heart. You hear that expressed? The question is how? How do you let Jesus come into your heart? The Bible says it's by faith. John chapter 1 verses 11 through 12. He came into his own and his own received him not, but as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now, we have to believe. Now if you look at other passages of the scripture you see that faith or belief is accompanied with works that you can't separate the two. But what does man say that man is saved by faith only? That's what he says man says. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that our hearts are purified by obedience to the truth. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, "...Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently." So, how, was, how were we purified? How was my soul purified? When I obeyed the truth. Not when I believed what man said that made me feel good. But when I obeyed the truth of God's Word... You see, God's grace is truth. It's the truth of His Word, and that truth shall set us free if we will obey it. You see, men say obedience is optional. Peter said, you've purified your soul in obeying the truth. The Bible shows us that obedience consists of faith that acts. And man says that obedience is not really required for salvation. Romans chapter one and verse five, Paul says, "By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations from his name or for His name. Again, obedience is essential. What do I have to obey? I have to obey the truth of God's word. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 8, it says, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Verse 9, And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Is obedience essential to my salvation? It most certainly is. I'm doing what the Lord has told me to do in order to be saved. And you see, if men would see clearly that obedience to the commands of Christ is essential, they could not rule out water baptism to the penitent believer as a part of salvation. Because we plainly see that preached and taught in the New Testament. However, the vast majority of the religious world today do that very thing, they leave off baptism, saying that it is not essential to salvation. And when Jesus was about to ascend to His Father, He gave final instructions to the apostles in Matthew chapter 28, beginning at verse 19. He said, "...Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever i commanded you what did jesus command them baptism yes and lo i'm with you always even to the end of the world who you going to believe word of god or what man says that makes you feel good Fact of the matter, I don't even really like to express it that way. Because God's word should make us feel good. Because we know that when we do what He's told us to do, we know that we're saved. Many times we don't want to say we're saved because we know that there's something in our life that we're not do or that we're doing that we're not supposed to. We're failing to do what we should. You see, a person can know if he or she is saved when false evidence is rejected. And the truth is accepted. Jesus said in John chapter 8 and verse 32: And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. You can know the truth. There needs to be no guesswork or doubting. You can know what the Bible teaches. Just take the New Testament, read what Jesus says about being saved, and do it. He's the Savior. Shouldn't He be able to tell us what we need to do in order to be saved? Mark sixteen, fifteen and sixteen, which is often called the Great Commission, Jesus says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. When I read that passage of Scripture, it doesn't seem all that complicated to me. It seems very easy to understand. And I've said it before, you could replace uh, saved with a, a chunk of money. You know, go into all the world and preach the Gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall receive $10,000. And if I ask you what you needed to do in order to receive $10,000, I, I guarantee you everybody could tell you what you needed to do in order to receive $10,000. And if you went higher with a million dollars, I guarantee you there wouldn't be anybody that would misunderstand what that says. And even with the next verse, that he that believeth not shall be damned. Even with that in there, you still understand, what do you got to do to get that million dollars? Well, I have to believe and be baptized. It's pretty easy to understand, isn't it? But yet, the religious world rejects it. It's a simple statement. Like that is difficult to understand. It's so plain and simple. It is essential for a believer to be baptized in order to be saved. And when a baptized believer is asked, Are you saved? He can truly say, Absolutely. The Ethiopian Ethiopian eunuch, as they were traveling along He'd been taught the Word of God by Philip. And they, when they came to a certain water, Philip or the eunuch says, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest, thou mayest. You see how belief is important? He had to believe that Jesus was the Christ. He had to believe the things that, that, that Philip had taught him about our Lord. And then he was a candidate to be baptized. We also know from other passages of Scripture that along with that, the repentance is necessary and a confession is necessary. And we see the Ethiopian eunuch as the chariot stops, that he makes that great confession. Confessing the name of Christ. And then they both went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch. And I've said with many of the examples in the Bible, if there was ever a time to say, oh, just accept Jesus into your heart, the day of Pentecost would have been the day. When they had 3,000 or about 3,000 souls that were baptized, wouldn't it have been easy to say, well, just accept Jesus into your heart and that's all you need to do. But they baptized about 3,000 people. 3,000 people. You're out in the middle of the wilderness. You're in a hot chariot. You're going to go down that dusty road. You're going to get out of that chariot and step down in the water, get soaked and wet, get back in the chariot. And that dust is going to stick to you. Wouldn't it be better to be able to say, Listen, just accept Jesus into your heart? Why didn't they do that? Because it wasn't the truth. It's not what they were supposed to say. They presented the truth. And the truth is what set them free from sin when they obeyed it. We don't have to base our our salvation on feelings because feelings can be false and fake evidence can be presented. We need to stand on the solid rock of what the Lord Jesus Christ said with his own mouth. How is it with you? You may have felt secure in the Lord for many years, but you may very well be in the same condition that Jacob was all those years when he believed that Joseph his son was dead, when the truth was that Joseph his son was really alive. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5, Examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you except you be reprobates? Examine yourself. Were you baptized for the right reason? Did you do it to obey the truth? Because that's important. Jesus said in John chapter 6 and verse 29, This is the work of God that ye believe on Him whom He hath sent. To any who believe that anything beyond faith is work, overlook the fact that faith is also a work. For by grace are ye saved through faith. So faith is something that we have to do. Why not do some new and fresh investigation if you're not sure of your salvation. If you're not sure of the condition of your soul, will you obey the feelings of man's salvation or what is written in God's Word? If changes need to be made in your life, I would suggest you make those changes before it's too late. The Bible tells us what we need to do in order to be saved. We have to have faith. Hebrews 11 and verse 6. Without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. So we have to have faith. Where does that faith come from? That faith comes from God's Word. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So our faith is based upon the evidence that is presented In God's truth, His Word. When I believe that truth, then I have to turn from my sin. I turn away from that sin. That's repentance. And the Bible talks about that on the day of Pentecost. That's what Peter said they needed to do. (coughs) Repent and be baptized. (coughs) What does repent mean? It means to turn away from your sin, stop doing those things, and turn and put your trust and faith in God. Then you make that great confession just like the Ethiopian eunuch did that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then you can be buried with our Lord in baptism to have your sins washed away by His precious blood that was shed on the cross for you and me. We see that a command that Jesus gave, and we see that as a command that the apostles gave and practiced when the New Testament church was established. Is that what you've done? I hope that's what you've done. I don't know your heart. You know your heart. Examine. And if there's changes that you need to make, do so. Because Jesus extends that wonderful invitation in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28, when he says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. <clears throat> Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am, I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Tonight, if you need to respond to the invitation, Feel free to come and have a seat up here on the front row. You have that opportunity while we stand and say.